Hello, my darling pop culture junkies. Happy Thursday. It's Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Hello, my darling angels. Thank you so much for being here. We have a, another great pod. We have an amazing guest. But before we get to introducing her, I just wanted to do some housekeeping. For those of you who are not getting my newsletter, but subscribe to the newsletter, and you have a Gmail address as the subscription email, please note it is a IT drama for which I can't even begin to get into, but it's between like GoDaddy and Google and Outlook and group emails and it's a nightmare and I'm hoping to have it remedied, but thank you to the like literally dozens of you who have sent me emails saying that it looks like you got unsubscribed and could you resubscribe? It is, it is in the works. I'm also looking to move off of Medium just because this has become quite the technical challenge and things are getting sort of devolving, not evolving. So we may be moving to a Substack format. I'll keep you guys posted. But anyway, housekeeping aside, Holy moly. I, I There's so many reasons why I'm excited about today's podcast, the least of which is that I have spent 20 years trying to figure out how to pronounce her last name. <laughs> I have had lunches with this woman, multiple conversations. I have talked about her in so many settings, and I have, I have always sort of just called her one name. She's like Beyonce. She's Vanessa. And I'm going to tell you her last name now because I have phonetically figured it out. But I'm very excited to introduce you all to my friend, to the amazing writer and founder of Campside Media, one of my favorite podcast networks ever, Vanessa Gregoriadis. Oh my God. Thank you so much, Brooke. That was Did I like do the it? incredible rollout. You, first of all, my name, perfect. Second of all, the whole bio. The first take, <laughs> by the way. There's no, like, we didn't redo it. But you deserve a summer in Greece, just I mean, for pronouncing that correctly. Dear Lord. It reminds me of, because I was just listening to your latest podcast from Uninfamous about the infamous podcast, but this one, the theme of Andrew Cuomo, and you talked to Olivia Nuzzi, and you pronounced her name, Nuzzi, and I'm like, thank God, because I've done that before, and I don't know if Olivia's corrected me, because it's not been in a podcast scenario, so I was like, oh my God, this is so timely. She, her, It's Nuzzi, and now I have your last name, and I feel very accomplished. Exactly. Today. I had no idea. That's how she was talking. Caught me totally unaware. I was like, I've been pronouncing your name wrong as Nuzzy this whole time, <laughs> but I love that you kept it in the podcast. So <laughs> it was like very, it was very helpful. Uh, and yeah. now when I am in a public setting with Olivia again and I introduce her to somebody, it will be Olivia Nuzzi. Exactly. I am very excited about that. Yeah. But Vanessa, we have so much to talk about, and obviously we're going to get into some of the themes today and from the newsletter, but like first and foremost, I want to talk about you because you, you have not only written some of the most important articles from a pop culture perspective, from a culture perspective mm -hmm. in the history of time, including one that was very, very foundational to my career, which was that New York Magazine cover of the Power Girls. Power and that's Girls. the Power yeah. PR, which was, I mean, was that early aughts, late night? I can't, that was Lara yeah, Schrift. Like 98. That was 98 I when think, I was starting yeah. my career as well mm -hmm. in the PR world. I was 
a New Yorker not living in New York then. I was in the Silicon Valley, San Francisco dot com world. So we mm. were we as communications people refer to ourselves as PR people, but really communications as opposed mm-hmm. to publicists. Yeah. But there is obvious we're two sides of the same coin. And that iconic cover with Lizzie Grubman, and that was before Lizzie's parking before her like, accident. Before yeah. her before her <laughs> criminal behavior in the Hamptons where right. she got in her, herself in some hot water. But Lara Schriftman, who I've known for years, is like, mm-hmm. these were the people, these were the hot women behind what? Behind movie stars, fashion, parties? What was there? I mean, Lord, like who even knows? Are any of these places still around? Like a fashion designer who's probably not around anymore, like AOL, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like parties for AOL at the Mercer Kitchen, like these things that just were so 90s. Um, it was such an iconic time in New York. I mean, it was there such were an par- iconic time. Well, yeah. what's so interesting is if you saw in this week's newsletter, 2023 yeah. has gone back to the late 90s when we had Doorman Gate with totally. the most remarkable, we call him Mullet Babe. I think his name was um, <laughs> Marcus Kellis, who yeah. has been written about before. The New York Times is like, he's like, remember Disco from uh, the, my my from favorite Bungalow. Doorman, from yeah. Bungalows and from elsewhere. But <sighs> this Marcus guy got very famous this weekend on TikTok due to his calling out an influencer. And we have some amazing nuggets. We'll play. Yeah, I saw that in the newsletter. And it's I mean, it's obviously you're right. It is the Bowery Hotel. It It is the Bowery, right? Yeah. Yes. The side door. That side, that that (laughs) upper area that's like private access. Yeah. Yeah, And he had some nuggets. He was yelling at this influencer who was trying to cut the line and saying that she demanded to be in, even though the party was at capacity. And we'll just we're just going to play it. So you guys mm-hmm. hear, it's really some of my favorite content. See, you're from Canada, so you don't fucking know. That's why you're not coming in. You're not welcome because I don't like you. Get your flight. I wish you well. I wish you well. I wish you well. Why the fuck is I wish you well. I'm matching your volume. I'm matching your your voice is coming out of your mouth in my men? direction. No, the only men? The only people that have something got fucked is by genetics. Stay flight! Stay You're leaving. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> but so yeah. here, that's sort of the reminiscent. We haven't had that in a while. We haven't had that sort of like reminder of, you know, because the club scene's a bit different now. What used to be the VIP parties in the 90s have now become sort of the the parties for whether it's Fashion Week or something mm-hmm. like that, that influencers now, which did not exist in the 90s. Like this is a whole, it's a yeah. new genre, but also a throwback to that really crazy time in New York. Totally, yeah. I mean, I think that, in you know, I've written magazine articles for 20 years and then now making podcasts that sound a lot like magazine articles because they're also very highly scripted, like the serialized kind of podcasts. Um, always interested in how people try to draw attention to themselves. And that's what influencers do, basically, right? And the whole point of that Power Girls story was that you had a group of people who were publicists who also were fairly attention-getting on their own. They became now, like, celebrities and right. girls themselves. They were sort of celebrities in they their They were own, the influencers right. before they social were, media. They were sort of the influencers. Now, they would probably, some of them, argue that 
they weren't actually that and it was all about the clients and I got it all wrong, you know? Like, and, and I think there is always that dance, right, between a communication style person and the client that they're representing. Like, for example, what's her name was just recently in New York Magazine, Risa Heller, you know? Right. There was a big profile like, by Sean on Risa Heller. Who right. Is, Risa's one of the most well-respected sort of, you hear her name pop up when there's any sort of big PR crisis and big, you know, whether it's corporate titans or corporate, you know, executives or, or famous people or big mm-hmm. dramas. Risa Heller's brought in to, to work with one side or the other. Yeah. I mean, I think people are inherently interested in like what's a peek behind the curtain. Like what's going on? Well, there was on? that story on me. I don't know if you well so I, I have a question did that. those did the PR women did Lara and Lizzie was this their idea to pitch a story to you or did no, you have this definitely idea not. it was my idea I mean I was just out of college I was covering parties for New York Magazine like with Patrick McMullen that was part of my job and Patrick McMullen if you guys aren't familiar is I mean he you don't even he his name can just anybody in New York will know but he is the photographer if you get photographed by Patrick McMullen you have sort of it person status you generally make the sort of pages of the New York Times or New York magazines or sort of mm-hmm. the party social scene and it was a really really big moment in the 90s and yeah. 2000s but for social media being in a party photograph was like a big deal yeah <laughs> like I remember that real way. housewife of yeah. New York when that was that that one that was weird that girl that was the woman that was living in Brooklyn and she was very strange but she and her husband like they were such social climbers like the entire point of living for them was to get photographed by Patrick McMullen and make it into the style section of the New York Times. Oh my god, yeah. It's a crazy thing to like look back at that because it feels very proto-social media in a way, right? Because it's the same thing. It's like photographs of you, everybody sees them, you know, gets to like comment on them. But I worked with him and started writing little squibs for New York Magazine. And then I sort of identified stories that I wanted to write. And I always laugh about that publicist story because, like, now you just be like, whatever. I went to the party. There was some woman standing there with a clipboard. I don't know what the big deal is. You know, but, like, to a child's mind, like a 25-year-old who's like, who are these women who are my age? Yeah, but they were, they were the first of their kind at that time. I mean, we've had other PR people back in the day, but they – that that sort of genre was new. It was new. It was new. And it was like, that's why New York Magazine was willing to write the story, right? Because I think I came in with like a half-formed idea, like, these women, and they're like me. They're like my age, and we should do a story about them and like what they're doing. And that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were like, what? But then they sort of looked into it and they're like, oh, this actually works. Um, And that photo is iconic, the three of them. (laughs) And it's gone. It's. I mean, the fact that it's 1998 and it's 2023, and I still can absolutely describe what they were wearing. Like flip phones, the flip and the phones and the dresses, drinks and the black dresses the and the blonde and the, the chunky highlights and they all look yeah. great. Did they pose for that for the article? They did pose for that. Okay, yeah. So. so my situation was very. It was like six years later. I'll never forget. I was standing outside of Think Pink Nails, that is no longer there on Tenth Street and Sixth Avenue, mm-hmm. getting about to jump in and get a manicure when Claire Kane Miller 
the mm-hmm. New York Times called me and she's like, <laughs> and I'm sure this is what sort of happened with you. Yeah. She's like, hey, so my editors really want to do a story of sort of the people behind the stories that mm-hmm. we write in tech PR and how important that yeah. is. Da, 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 da. And I was like, oh, it's so interesting. And she's like, well, what's really interesting is that my editors want the focus to be on you. And I, right. I come from that experience of, you know, I'm in the business of I'm behind the scenes. Like if you become the story, you're doing something wrong. And I argued and I tried to, and, it, and if you look at the article, it doesn't seem that way, but I'd argued I did not want it. I did not want to be that person, but I was the most well-known probably because of, you know, maybe social media just sort of had started and I was having a voice and I had decided not to stay behind the scenes with my voice. I was more vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the problem was that when I argued that I didn't want to be involved, they said, well, we're going to do it around you regardless of yeah. your involvement. So then as a communications person, I had to say, well, I need to fill up the oxygen or else they're going to have bad right. people fill up the oxygen. Yeah. And the story turned out to be a mess because she also was trying to tell. I mean, it was great for what she was trying to do, but she was trying to tell a couple different stories in there. But, you know, you still had the Nick Dentons trying to create like drama and all mm-hmm. of that. And it felt like this was my version of your story on the PR yeah, girls, yeah, but yeah. From, a, <laughs> from a Silicon Valley perspective. And it, right. I, I hid under my bed for like three days when that story oh, came no. out. I was Aww. devastated. I got death threats. I got, I mean, it was crazy. <gasps> oh my God. It's crazy. I am not cut out for having that kind of publicity. So, But do you think ultimately it hurt you or it helped no, you? No, of course. It ultimately it helped me. It also helped me just be a better communications person because I became more aware of what my clients will have to contend with when they get that kind of attention. So it made me much more empathetic to that, that sort of experience, you know, but in that moment, and I was a kid in that moment, you just feel like, oh my God, the, the end of the world, the end of the world. Yeah. I mean, look, if I could go back and do a few things differently and that, I still would have done the story, but I probably would have done it a little differently. Like, I mean, at the time, like when I graduated from college, I just wanted to write these like Tom Wolf esque New York Magazine, like, you know, sort of radical chic sorts of stories, like where you find a group of people and you like call it a scene and you sort of like, you know, make fun of it a little bit and take the piss out of it, right. you know, like, and it's hard, it's only when you grow up a little bit that you're like, oh, these are real people, like with real feelings, you know, and they're not like characters in my play. And you learn, you learn, but it's still iconic, Vanessa. I mean, right out of college to have a cover story of that something that still has legs today and they're still doing what they're doing I don't know if all three of them are but they're all like Lara and and Lizzie are still out there they're still around we're the same age no I have that I'm doing this new podcast now that's actually about some of the stuff that happened in Silicon Alley and we're like writing a script the other day and like you know we write scripts with a a couple of different writers write together. So somebody wrote into the script, like, I was a young, this is for me to read, like, I was a young green writer. Like, I'd never had any success. And then I found out about Silicon Alley. And I was like, we got to cut that because that is not true. I did have this, like, massive success with this story. I'm not going to pretend, like, you know, right. it wasn't, right. like, a precocious thing that happened, right? <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I just didn't know what I was doing until I was, like, 40. That's really funny. Like, no, well, I mean, to t- and you've had such an – and I want to get um, into what Campsite is doing and all that. But you, everything you've touched on sort of ebbs and flows, mm-hmm. not just in pop culture and culture in general, but even in this week's po- this week's newsletter. So you also worked at Rolling stone which was you know for as when i started off in tech pr 
all of our companies, especially like whether it was yeah. a gaming company or like Sonos or I mean, and anything that was that was a consumer facing company there, it was like to get into Rolling Stone or Playboy or New York Magazine was like the penultimate of a success of a of a technology company. It's different Amazing. now. Right. Yeah. But but it certainly mm-hmm. was Rolling Stone, again, was just cutting edge. It wasn't just about music. It was looking at all different things. But music was at its core. And in this week, you know, and I'm a Rolling Stone fan. I'm a music junkie. I am friends with some of the people mm-hmm. that are the subject matter of this book. But Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone mm-hmm. magazine and the guy, one of the co-founders of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, found himself, I guess, in this world being canceled, certainly in hot water, due to a book that he put out that he's doing a book tour for. So obviously doing all the press to promote the book. And the book is called Masters. And it's a look at who he, who he, a very big name in music and the guy who sort of created the music bible of rolling stone deemed the masters of that genre and you know you have the likes of bono who we love Mm -hmm. and bruce springsteen and jerry garcia and pete townsend and all of these amazing people there's just one thing it's only white men and so you know then you also had the new york times did their big interview this weekend which as a communications person, I, if my client has written this book and so forth and wants to move forward with it, at the very least I'm going to have him be prepared for the question, why do you only have white men? And yeah. his answer was the worst answer of all possible answers, which is he literally said this. So he thinks it and he said it, that he literally believes that women and people of color can't articulate in the same way. Emotion- wait, 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 wait. Do you think he really would have taken somebody else's advice though but you so that's what I'm asking I don't know Jan like he's obviously does he just like I the Mm. way I described it in the newsletter is like like 2023 Jan Wenner it's a hard landing for you because like this probably would have been you know ignored and not debated at a different time so I'm just wondering like and it is like I get when people are of a certain age and a certain mindset they don't been to the ways of the world as of today but do you think he must have had people along the way whether his agents or advisors or yeah I mean obviously there was a conversation about like how are you putting out something that says the masters and it's only got white men in it like you know that like that's clearly Just from a conversation that happened with his publisher or something like that. But he said, I'm not going to just do this just to do it. Like, I don't consider any female artist to be up to snuff. I mean, that is and a that's person the of crazy color. Part. When he said, yeah, so yeah, to me, it's that's like. The, the crazy part is that you would actually think that. He would about actually think artists. that. And you think about, because he then said, like, what I would have said to him is say, you're a white man. You relate mm-hmm. to these artists. That makes sense. Yeah. Like you, this is the genre that 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 moved oh, you, and yeah. therefore you're writing about the masters to Jan Wenner, the people that moved you. You could sort of spin it that way. There right. was no need to go into that like grave digging role of like, oh my god, I can't believe you just said what you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it was moronic, obviously, and like to be let go from the Rock and Hall, you know, Rock right. And Roll he Hall was removed thing, from the board. He cared, of rock cared and a lot about that. Um, I mean, I would say, you know, Rolling Stone, the gender situation there is really complicated. Like, I actually think that what happened with that UVA story, with the rape at UVA story, was very much part and parcel of what happened in the Rolling Stone offices, which is 
generally, there were only a few writers like me, and we tended to write about things that were more female-centric, right? Like, so Katy Perry cover, Taylor Swift cover, you know, story about Janet Jameson, like pop culture. Um, Janet Reitman, who's an amazing writer, is writing a book about extremism right now. She's the person who wrote the Rolling Stone cover with a Boston bomber, right, which right. got so much attention that they made him look like a rock star, which right. it was really just like a picture of him. I mean, he was – he did look like a rock star, <laughs> Right. In general. You know, they did have female writers who wrote about serious stuff, but they did have a staff where the editing staff was almost entirely male and the fact-checking and assistant staff was only almost entirely female, which, if you recall, was also the situation at a lot of magazines. I mean, you know, It was always like the assistants. I mean, when we started at – when I started at New York Magazine, me and these other two assistants – the male editors in the office would openly say there are the sweater girls over there because we all had big boobs. They'd be like, the sweater girls, there they are. I was, I mean, it's mind-blowing that people would do that. I mean, I would be called like, you know, the, the there were times when I started my career and the reporter would be like, um, note taker. Like when I'd be sitting in a meeting <laughs> with a client and be like, no taker girl. Like it's just yeah. the craziest things that way that men treated us and we learned from. Right. I mean, I I think the problem with Jan is like, I mean, personally, like, fine, you don't want to play the political game. Cool. But just say, like, I wrote this because these are who I personally, Jan Wenner, consider to be the masters. You might have a different opinion. You might be into different music. I'm not saying the white guys are the best. They're just the best to me. That's all he had to, to me, say. These, that's all it needed to be said. So what does he do? Like, as how does he recover? I don't this? know that he cares. He doesn't you care. You know, about recovering. I mean, he already had Joe Hagan wrote that really negative biography of him. Then he put out like a positive biography. I mean, at this point, it's like, yeah, I don't know. He's got so many people around him who love him and he's just sort of I going know. I just want to know, like, didn't Bono and Bruce and them just be like, hey, dude, like throw in others. I'm yeah. Here. Like we'd love. To- but I mean, I'm sure you feel this way, too, where it's like, you know, obviously I'm a woman and obviously I want to see like women rise. But there are like some guys I'm not like, you know, I have obviously good feelings about Young because I worked with him for so long. And there's a lot of people like that where I'm sort of like, oh, this person's going out like Raiden Carter even where I'm like, I love this guy. You know, like I don't want them all to go out. Like I feel sort of sorry that you know, some there's obviously comeuppances that some people need to have. And this was an unforced error by Jan and he sort of deserves what's coming to right. him. But we still but like to have these like old with school. Graydon, there was like this whole discussion of like, what did he say about Jeffrey Epstein that like completely clouded him leaving Vanity Fair where you're like, come on, we're not going to reduce this person's entire career to one thing to like what what was said about Jeffrey Epstein. And at that time, nobody would have written that article about nobody would have run that article about Jeffrey Epstein. Right saying that he was a pedophile. Right. Like, New York Magazine wouldn't have run it. Rolling Stone wouldn't have run it. People, there just wasn't enough of, like, basis, you yeah. know? So when he started Airmail, which ended up being, is pretty good. I like Airmail. I'm a subscriber. I quite like it. And I like the throwbacks. But people were like, ew, Airmail, down with Airmail, because Graydon didn't write, like, a Jeffrey Epstein but, thing. And you're like, this guy had a 40 or 50-year right. long career. Absolutely. And and by the way, there were a lot of opportunities. A lot of people knew what was going on with Jeffrey Epstein. And there were a lot of people trying to figure out that story. But you also have to recognize, like, 
the legal teams of these media companies have to weigh what is the what's going to happen with lawsuits, right? Like they can get sued to oblivion until they have to have absolute concrete evidence before they can go forward. with Totally. And what's fascinating about Jeffrey Epstein, I think, is that he was hiding in plain sight. Like it was like you couldn't possibly believe that all these, you know, you're going to parties at this guy's house and like there's women there who look like they're 16, but they're really 24. And nobody's like thinking to themselves, oh, in Palm Beach, where it's like much more quiet, there's a bunch of like actual 16 year old. I met Jeffrey Epstein once at a party in passing, like whatever. And it was before the first. I mean, it's so weird. It was I met him with Ghislaine and it's so uh, Ghislaine is in my phone book. Like I have no recollection of how that happened. But I remember just like he was so he just had something about him that made you if you have any sort of spidey sense, sort of like the little hairs on the back of your neck stand up like I just so there there was that factor. But yeah, he was he did it. He he and there are a lot of them, by the way, whether they're pedophiles mm-hmm. or just really bad guys. There are a lot of yeah. these people that still to this day stay in plain sight. But I, and I want to talk about that because you have so many podcasts. So Campside Media you are, are you a co-founder? You're the founder? Mm-hmm. I'm a co-founder. co-founder. There, yeah. And Campside Media is a podcast company that, which I love, puts storytellers first. And you, you, you specialize in this sort of serialized narrative podcast. You are the host of some, but then you also have some mm-hmm. of the most incredible other journalists out there doing it. And uh, I mean, the variety, like, can you just name, because the shows I want to talk about today, I mean, there's so many, but the obviously infamous, because there's so many different themes of, of characters that I want to get into, but mm-hmm. you, you, you know, whether it's Nexium or the Kardashians mm-hmm. or now Cuomo, mm-hmm. but what are some of the other podcasts like Run Bambi Want Run, which you did, which I've mm-hmm. always been obsessed with Lori Babenic. Babenic. Oh my God. I love that. Ben yeah. Benick. Is that how I pronounce it? Ben Benick. Oh my yeah. God. Who went by Barbie. She was like a Playboy bunny cop kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Then- she was a she was a cop. She was like a model, like a like a disco modely cool girl in Milwaukee in, the 80s. in like 1979 and she became one of the first cops, female cops ever in Milwaukee and then um lost her job cuz she was supposedly smoking a joint and then she became a Playboy bunny and then she ended up getting married to this like very handsome detective and then his ex-wife turned up dead and she was you know, accused of the murder and it like just sort of goes on from there. She's it's an incredible like piece of Americana. Yeah. And the true crime. I mean, again, back to the to the newsletter this week, you saw this trend going around everywhere about men thinking about the Roman Empire and women mm-hmm. asking men, whether husbands, brothers, boyfriends, friends, what like how often they think of the Roman Empire. And they're like, not often. I don't know, like once <laughs> or twice a week. And you're like, what? Yeah. And there's this like whole thing about what is the female equivalent of the Roman Empire? Empire. And my some of my favorite TikToks that got huge numbers are like the female equivalent of of the Roman Empire is true crime. We mm-hmm. are thinking about true crime, murder, and the other ones that were really funny were the Tom Hardy, not Tom Hardy, um, Tom, what's his name? I can't, the Zen, Zendaya's boyfriend. I'm yeah. so bad. His dance to Rihanna in that lip sync battle. And mm-hmm. um, then uh, Fleetwood Mac songs when uh, then the two, Stevie and what's his name, are looking at each other. But, you know, true crime 
we are yeah. like the obviously podcasting has been around for a while, but the thing that really put podcasting into the culture, the zeitgeist is that podcast serial, which is looking at mm-hmm. true crime. And we all became hooked on this sort of real time, like what was happening, investigative journalism. And we become hooked on that. And yeah, we can't get enough of it. You know, I'm not saying it's all women, men aren't included in this, but for the most part, procedural dramas, we love the law and order SVUs. We love Mm -hmm. that sort of, you know, figuring things out. How did you tap into that? Well, I mean, basically I was a writer, you know, for Rolling Stone and Barry Fair and New York Magazine, Times Magazine for whatever, like until three or four years ago, um, and then hooked up with a couple of people who also were in magazines where, you know, everything was clearly dying. And we came up with the idea for this company, which is basically that we are the people who write those podcasts, those serial-esque podcasts. And you don't need all of this, like, management layer of folks to create them. You really just need these, like, incredible writer journalists slash producers. So we did um, – did you hear the Hollywood Con Queen, the um, podcast we made about the, like – con man it did end up being a man who was um pretending to be all the big female execs i I mean the voice and all of that the oh my god i can't i forgot that was yours what was that called a hollywood con queen chameleon chameleon that's right chameleon oh my god it was yours i forgot that yeah we uh we basically like look for things that have incredible tape, you know, like is that thing like some crazy voicemails that were left that we can build a whole series around or like in Infamous, which is my podcast series about based on like a lot of old articles I wrote or pop cultural things. We all watched the Gwyneth trial and then we were like, oh, my God, like the recording, you know, if you get rid of the video, the recordings of her just being like, you know, well, I missed a half day. I skiing. lost a half day skiing. We that was the theme of one of the weekly newsletters. I mean, it was iconic. It's so crazy. I mean, that trial is just you just like you can watch hours and hours of it, and it just does not disappoint um, at all. So yeah, it was so maybe her finest like, role, to be honest. It was literally at least since like Shakespeare in Love. Yeah, and when and she, I just what I love about that as like a communications person, I'm sure you feel this way. She knew she was gonna win. She was like, there's no way that I go up against this creep and, like, people don't root for me. So I feel like she has to have had that. I mean, I'm sure she was also thinking, like, I don't want to let anybody mess with my family and I want to put the word out there that you don't sue Gwyneth Paltrow and just take money. Yeah. You know, which is obviously a problem for all celebrities all the time. But (laughs) I also think she was like, this guy, I got a ringer here. Like, this guy is not winning, you know. It was, I mean, it was, the fact that it was televised, her outfits, the choices, what she whispered to him when she was, like, leaving, like, best of luck to you or something. Like, it was just, you watch this man just get destroyed, and yet we Mm -hmm. couldn't, I couldn't stay away. And your podcast, like, it just, it's so, it it touched on all the best parts of, like, why we're obsessed with this sort of part of the world, part of life, culture. It's, it was very fun. Like that was a very fun 
you know, we put like two episodes together and then we interviewed Taffy Brodesser Ackner, who created Fleischman is in Trouble. But before she did that, she interviewed Gwyneth Paltrow for like a very famous piece in the Times magazine. Oh my God, that's right. That was Taffy's Taffy, piece. Yeah, Taffy like basically flew to Brentwood. Basically, the whole piece is Taffy making fun of herself and how she doesn't like measure up to Gwyneth Paltrow. But there's this hilarious scene where she flies to Brentwood. She ends up in like Gwyneth's house. Gwyneth's like giving her some like delicious food like Moses and Apple are like playing classical music like they're speaking like many different languages and she gets a call from like her husband like her friend in New Jersey is like your kid is at school and says you're supposed to be picking him up like you know does he not know she's like does he not know that I flew to California did I not say goodbye (laughs) like you know it's just like a reminder of how like messed up like mom, working mom's so lives are funny. when they don't have like house like so the Gwyneth and, the Gwyneth is lifestyle yeah. guru for me is really hard pill to swallow as somebody who grew up in New York and knew her and then in her best friend who is now married to um, a movie star went to my college went to Rollins mm-hmm. and Gwyneth would come down to the school all the time and she was just starting to become famous and like then when I was dating Mike and R.E.M. there was like a mm-hmm. lot of crossover because she was really close to Michael Stipe so we would all be like mm-hmm. and she was also really close to Mario Batali who I you know has also had his own trials mm-hmm. and tribulations but I still consider a friend and so there was mm-hmm. lots of interactions with her and let's just say there, you know we were all big party kids in the 90s and early aughts I just like the lifestyle health guru when I think about how many cigarettes (laughs) I smoked with that chick (laughs) among other things late night it's It's uh like I wish I could like nobody would buy me as a lifestyle guru I'd be like (laughs) you know they remember all the parliaments I bummed off of them over years right hey by the way you guys it's all about energy now (laughs) and healing and right like while I'm like slamming Red Bulls and vodka yeah (laughs) Indeed. Well, you, I want to talk about the Cuomo stuff because that's obviously, I mean, you, Mm -hmm. you, you, the infamous, I also want to understand that because you have so many different things come out through infamous. So there's so many different stories. Mm -hmm. One of the ones I don't think, have you done anything, Anna Delvey? I can't remember. No, I will tell you, though, that I we requested an interview with Anna Delvey because I was like, she's in New York. She's not, not doing much. Like, she's doing all these different things. So, like, she must want to do an interview with me for Infamous. <laughs> I said, no, it's a pass. And I was like, okay, well, like, can we talk about this for a second? Because, like, it's very easy. I'll just go to her apartment. Blah, 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 blah. And they were like, she's not giving interviews at this time. But if you are interested in a paid appearance, like, if you're interested basically in paying her for the interview... Like, we could talk about it. I was like, seriously? Well, this doesn't surprise me. So, like, again, all of this crossover. In the newsletter also this week, we talk about there is a fashion show. I don't even know the brand. Like, poor, I don't know the fashion designer, but Kelly Coutrone. Coutrone, Another yeah. PR power publicist who became well, was always well-known in fashion, but had her stint yeah. on the hills and then had her own mm-hmm. sort of PR. Like, Lauren Conrad yeah. worked for her and all the girls, and she broke, like, Gaga and all this stuff. Whatever. Yeah. She, they came out on the news with all of these TikToks with uh, Anna Delvey, who's now under house arrest in her apartment building, famously mm-hmm. with a bracelet, anklet, has a new face. So I will say props to the doctors, whether that's filler yeah. or surgery, like did a great job. Mm-hmm. And then they had this fashion show sort of like, but so I was very offended by this and I'm not easily offended. Like I'm all about camp and fun, but mm-hmm. like Kelly, I found her the most offensive in terms of just sort of like not 
uh, taking advantage of this woman, taking advantage of the moment and not acting like she is. But I have a personal experience with Anna, like a great deal of experience with Anna Delvey myself, because I was the person she came to, to want to partner with opening that club. And I was introduced to her by well-known people. And she came marching into my office (laughs) covered in like, as if she were Meryl Streep in Devil Wears Prada. She threw her cape and her, her, her very expensive (laughs) handbag on my assistant's desk and walked in and she, as somebody who travels the world, that was definitely not a German accent. Mm -hmm. It was, it wasn't Russian either. It was just like an intercontinental weird accent. Mm -hmm. She would throw all of these sort of like, you know, grandiosity claims to me, but also like, darling, you're the best. I'd only want to partner with the best and so and so and so and so and so and so. Yeah, yeah. And that yeah. but I immediately Spidey sense, like she wanted all of my contacts. She was like, Larry Allison and Bill Gates and all these people will be members of this club, da 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 and you you will hand over your contacts and you will be an equity partner. Cut in, in this. somehow. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, gonna right, be a partner right. and this is our club. And I was like, mm-hmm. great, let's schedule a walkthrough. And she's like, you know where it is. She it was just and then when she got arrested, she called me from prison and Love. she was in jail yeah. and she was hysterical. And I was like, what's happening? And she's like, I mean, I was her call. And then she told Jessica Pressler, who was writing, you know, she told Jessica, I was sitting on a beach in Jamaica and Jessica texted and she's like, can we talk? And I was like, shit, what is Jessica working on? Like, I have no idea what yeah. client could Jessica be covered. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I wanted to get, you know, I'm going to go visit Anna and Rikers. Da, da, da. I go okay, what, what do I have to do with it? And she's like, she told me you were your communications person. <laughs> I and I was like, oh, what? I mean, what are you wow. talking about? That's Smart bold. Girl. Smart girl. But Smart I was girl. like, I'd had like three cocktails at that point. I was like, but yeah, you were like, let me tell you, let me tell you my experience. She also, before her being arrested, she showed up at the code conference at Kara Swisher's conference. She DM'd me on Instagram and she's like, darling, I'm coming to code. Can you please leave a badge for me with my name on it? And it's like a $10,000 conference (laughs) the day of. And I was like, who the fuck is this girl? But I had such a difficult time dealing with the, uh, you know, she, she's a criminal. She is a convicted criminal. She took advantage of a lot of people. She hurt a lot of people. She has zero remorse and turning her into this sort of celebrity and Kelly being like, it just, it was, I had such an ick factor to it. I mean, it is, except that you're making me be like, should I just pay for the interview? Because it would be great. (laughs) But like, yeah, I mean, I think that that's the thing, right? Like you, you, you know, you get out of prison and what can you do with the celebrity that you have? And people will like, you know, try to, everybody will try to, anything they can to get a little bit of attention, right? That's, like, what's going on. So Kelly obviously saw that. You know the guy who I have, like, toyed with trying to book on Infamous is, like, the hot prison guy. Remember the guy who was, like, the hot convict? The super, super Oh, my God, with the tattoos, with the With the the eyes. And then he ended up with that billionaire's daughter. Exactly. And he's, you know, he's a model and he's like in Monaco and he's just like living his best life. And I saw something on Instagram where he was talking about what happened when to him when that meme happened and how there was a judge who was like, you know what, looking at him for probation and was like, you know what, this is like some crazy shit that's happening to you, but this will give you a second chance on life. I'm giving you probation. You should like get out. Wow. Now, I know somebody who knew him. Because it was like the girl, the daughter of the owner of Topshop, I think, the Green family, and he was with her. I think yeah. he even married her. I don't know. but Yeah, he's had like many, you know, big, fancy relationships. But I hear he's a lovely guy. 
he seems like a lovely guy. Like, honestly, I just thought it would be funny to have him explain, like, because it is so random and it's like a nice spin on, um, you know, what happens after you're right. convicted, which never is like a great story. But it's I never think like a good thing. The difference with People him are is su- such PTSD getting out of prison. Ugh. Like, it really is disastrous. But Anna Delvey is part. taking advantage. So, where he did is he just had this unbelievably gorgeous headshot that just like stopped yeah. us all in our tracks but it wasn't glorifying his crimes like he was able to make a second chance she is literally glorifying her sort of status and as a criminal but don't you think she's screwed in terms of like that monica Lewinsky way where there's like nothing else she will ever be able to do like but i just never be able to have a legitimate business yeah the difference is i mean monica's a good friend of mine monica's so brilliant and monica Mm -hmm. is able to turn that into something that's really clever and helpful and positive and you know she speaks about you know what that and i and right but it took her a long time uh, like it took the culture turning to accept her a hundred percent but anna doesn't have any like in my mind anna was a criminal like monica was I say this all the time. If I was a 22-year-old girl and I was working in the White House and Bill Clinton looked at me funny, there is the only difference between me and Monica is I would not have befriended Linda Tripp. That's the only difference, but I would have 100% been in that situation. No, it was absolutely horrible what happened. So she, yeah, whereas Anna was was not the victim. And that's my big issue here. No, she was not the victim. She was not, she was definitely not the victim. Yeah. But she has a new face. It looks great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more power to her. And so your you new know, infamous, like, I want to hear all of them um, because Cuomo, I want to end there if that's okay, unless you have mm-hmm. a different one. But, yeah. But no, Nexium, I have so many questions because you got, you met Keith Raniere. And we have been inundated with Nexium. In fact, I live on a street that was, when I first moved in in the Hollywood Hills, down the road, there's this big monstrous house that we call the Death Star that looks like really dark and ominous. And it's got like, it's 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 just in this area that's bright and light and beautiful. It's just dark, heavy house with like, it's just very monoliths and it looks very menacing. Mm, and yeah. somebody had, and my neighbor's like, oh, it's the Nexium house. I was like, what do you mean? <gasps> and it turns out it's one of the, the what's her name? The Seagram's girl. What's her? The, their last Claire. Name. What's yeah, the, Claire Bronfman. The Bronfman, one of the daughters, sisters, whatever, houses. Mm-hmm. And she was building it during the time of oh, the. Wow. Of, and now she's in okay. prison and they've been renting it. And weirdly, the people that were renting it, the last. This is such like, I'm probably going to get killed over here. But <laughs> the, the do you remember the guy? There was recently, and this is another story you should look into. Mm. Six months ago or eight, maybe nine months ago, whatever, there was a gay man who fell off a building, apparently jumped off a building in Miami. And he was a model mm. actor and people said he wouldn't Vaguely. be suicide. Yeah. So he was rumored to be Peter Thiel's lover. And Mm -hmm. he and Peter had a massive breakup and or at least he was pushed aside. So it turns out I got the story. He was Peter Thiel's boyfriend. Peter Thiel was married. Peter Thiel was renting the Nexium house for like tens of thousands of dollars a month for this kid. This kid had a Frenchie. That's how I knew him. He's gorgeous. His Frenchie Mm -hmm. hated my Frenchie. They hated each other, but they sort of loved each other. His Frenchie's name was Birkin. 
No joke. <gasps> Birkin. Jesus. So he'd be in Birkin had like a Cartier necklace. Like it was hilarious. <gasps> and he, this gorgeous man, lived in this unbelievable house with his French bulldog named Birkin that was paid for by Peter Thiel, according to sources. And then they had some sort of fight. Peter Thiel's husband probably was like, uh, this isn't working. So Guy yeah. moved from Hollywood Hills to Miami to a, a much cheaper house. I think it was like 10 grand a month in this apartment. Mm -hmm. And then mysteriously fell off the roof of the building with Birkin sort of calling out for his her daddy. Oh my God. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the uh. Nexium house has lore, but Keith Ranieri, how did you get that interview? What was he like? Did he smell? Like he struck me as somebody that would smell like mildew. So I was brought that story because basically they hired, first of all, they went to everybody and they were like, hello, we need some crisis PR. And people were like, what the hell are you talking about? And they were like, okay, well, these women were branded, but they did it to each other. They wanted it. Was actually it. really empowering and we're not a cult. And like, it was like a sorority, feel. right? That's what and they like, were trying I to say. I cannot tell you how many, like, very well-paid communications professionals, after I wrote about it, have called me and been like, oh, my God, you know, we were approached to take Nexium as a client. And we were just like, you know, everybody's money is good, except maybe this person's money. Like, some Russian oligarchs, not all, right. and Nexium. Right. Like, and basically, um, they finally found someone, and he pitched the story to somebody at the Times Magazine who was male. And that guy was like, I'm super into this and got to talk to Allison Mack. And Allison Mack was like, I don't know. It's like totally consensual and like nothing is happening to me that I don't like and like blah, blah, blah. And so he called me up and he was like, Vanessa, this is a really good story, but I feel weird because it was sort of a Me Too, slightly post Me Too. Like, I feel weird doing this if we're going to take the side of the women and say they're not being abused because I'm a man. So do you want to do this story? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I want to do this story. So he gave it to me and it was like the easiest. That's what's so hilarious about it. It's like, how did you get the... You're like, it was How delivered to me. The cult leader that did not speak for 14 years to the press, except to you. Of course, there was no other way you could have gotten it. It was right? delivered. Like, it had to be an inside job. So it was like. You went to Mexico, were, right? So, but I went to Mexico, but I just want to say the other person, they were like, well, we might talk to you, but the person we really want to talk to is Rebecca Traster, who's like this massive feminist writer. And I was like, you morons. You think. Like, Rebecca Traster's going to believe you're not having a cult? Like, <laughs> what is happening here? Like, But they really thought he could manipulate, right? He believed if he had a female journalist, probably he could manipulate them. That was probably I his... Think, I think so. And honestly, they did sort of manipulate me. And I did go in there thinking, like, okay... Let me be, like, totally open to all of this. Like, it can't be as bad as people are saying. Like, maybe it'll be okay. Like, maybe there are good things that I really wanted to understand. Like, what is this ideology that you have? Like, what is the Goopian thought? What is the thing you're all, like, bowing to? And he couldn't even really explain it. And, like, that was sort of a bit of a tell, right? Where it was like, oh... There might not be anything like real, you know, like you're just thinking about like, who am I having sex with tonight? And like, what lie did I tell that girl who's not going to tell that woman and blah, 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 blah. 
he's also so repellent, honestly. He's like truly. I mean, I just can't repellent. imagine somebody finding you know? him. Like, I understand power can be like sexy, but I mean, he's like the, seeing the documentaries of him in the volleyball outfits and just like, I'm like, how is that man getting so much <laughs> sex and hot lady sex? It was, yeah. But did he? It's a cr- such a crazy What was story. his like vibe in like when you m- met with him? Like, well, he was very like, you know, he had that feathered like 80s, 90s hair oh. and he was just like trying to be like, we're like a seminar, educational coaching seminar company, you know, trying to come off very like profesh. And he, his vibe was bad. I mean, his vibe was not good. Like, I was like, I would like to get away from this person. And did Allison right Mack now. strike you as being somebody that was just sort of completely out of her? I mean, I liked her. You know, she was obviously acting. But, you know, it's also hard as a journalist. You're like, great, you're talking to me? Like, you're putting on a show? I, I like that. Yeah. You know, like, I do think she was really brainwashed. Like, I think that she got used as, like, the tool, his tool. And who you was know? his business think, partner? What was her name? Nancy. Oh Salzman? yeah, Nancy Salzman. What yeah. about her? Because mm-hmm. like she got, she was so. Well, she in was, it. What was so amazing is that they all like just stuck to the script. The Keith, they all decided on a script. This is what we're going to tell Vanessa. Like this is the script we're going to tell Vanessa, and everybody was on script. And then it was only when I went to Albany and hung out with Nancy Salzman that I, because she started going sort of off script. She started to turn. She was absolutely terrified. You know, because she realized, like, she was the smart, sort of the smarter one. And she was like, oh, my God, the jig is up. You know, so it was impossible for her. And she wanted to explain what they were doing to me. So she was saying all these things like, well, you know, men are just like more organized and men are just like more thoughtful. And it's just part of like being a woman that a woman needs to serve the man. And I was like, you don't fucking believe this. And she was like, what? And I was like, wait, I mean. Had she known about her daughter being a partner at that point yet? Did she know that her— Oh, yeah. Yeah, she knew. Oh, yeah. She knew about her daughter. I mean, her daughter is also very bright. I mean, it's it's, it's just—you know, in the end, it's a very, very sad story, but I think also iconic. Like, it is— shocking and weird and strange it's like a jonestown and well that's why there's thing. like and five documentaries on it yeah and I, I i honestly think part of why they were all arrested um when they were is like people were like starting to think like what the hell's gonna happen next like he's buying a cage like somebody's gonna potentially be in this cage like not get fed food like shit was gonna go down you know anyway yeah well i appreciate all your um all your accolades. When you were in Mexico, <laughs> um, before we get into Cuomo, when bef- mm-hmm. when you were in Mexico doing the interviews, were you there for mm-hmm. the raid or did it happen after you left? No, no. It happened after I okay. left. Oh, my God. Just, I would love that. I know. That would have been like, were they in the closet? Were you in the closet with <laughs> yeah. them? Like, oh, my God. <laughs> but it's so cool. I, I have such a visceral reaction. And is Nancy, has she been, has she been sentenced yet? Or She... Oh, yeah. She's in prison. I think she might be she's out. She's in prison, right? I think she might be out, though. I mean, they're Because that all... was really sad. Like, her yeah. parents needed her as a caretaker, and she had the cats, and, like, it really broke my heart, I gotta say. I felt my heart broke for Nancy Saltzman. But that sounds like I'm brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, they're people. They're like actual human beings, you know? I mean, that's the thing. It's like you also have to feel bad for them. You have to feel bad, um, but she was part of the problem. But okay, so Cuomo. I remember getting a Google alert in sometime in April, maybe end of March, when I was being like a wifey with my friend Deborah in her house with her yeah. kids in Weston, Connecticut during lockdown. And I was like a Google alert with my name. is never something I want, but I have it because God forbid. Right. And it was, I was quoted in the Daily Mail and the New York Post as homosexual. It was right when that started to ah, happen. Oh my god! And so your newest, your newest part of Infamous, your the latest uh, mm-hmm. pods are around Andrew Cuomo and the sort of rise and fall of this man. And yeah. I, before we get into it, I about the the pod. My history with Cuomo is so funny because not just because yeah. of that, but I'm a child of New York, and my mom was a big advocate for the homeless in the '80s or whatnot, and worked really closely with like Governor Cuomo. Mario Cuomo's world and my mom God rest her soul wish she were here to tell the the thinking Mm -hmm. but like the way that I can only explain it is like imagine my mom not that she was an evil stepmother she wasn't a stepmother she was my mother but think about the Cinderella story of the narrative of when the prince came around looking for his bride and that evil stepmother like pushed her two daughters and were like the shoe will fit them the shoe will fit them my -hmm. mother did that to me from like I was like 12 trying to get yeah. me in front of the Cuomo boys when they were like teenagers. They were a few years older than me or whatever. Oh, no. And we were at some like event where Governor Cuomo was with his kids. And my I was maybe 11. Like I was, it was like, what was she <sighs> thinking? I also looked like, like, I looked like a boy. I had like short hair. And, but my mom was like, you're going to marry one of those men, those boys one day. Oh my God. That's who you're going to be Aren't with. Aren't you glad that you didn't though? Well, so I just got pushed into being married to him. And so I've always yeah. had an affinity though. I've never liked Chris. I thought he was annoying. How did this, how did this come about in terms of doing the Cuomo and the I Kwanzaa mean, cake? you know, like, for Infamous, we're always thinking about like, what is another Infamous story that we can tell? And I felt that the Andrew Cuomo story had been sort of overlooked in like a mainstream way you know nobody wants like a documentary about the fall of Andrew Cuomo like nobody really is going to do it as a dramatic film like you know it feels too local or something but everybody knows who he is in the entire country because of COVID because he was the most like important voice right at that time when Trump was like a lunatic and telling people about bleach like Andrew actually was he was the trusted source and he was incredible at that time so you know, I wanted to look into like, well, what really happened <laughs> from there? And it was so good. All I, sorts of bad things. I yeah. will say you talk about the Kwanzaa cake that his ex-girlfriend had made. <laughs> and I've heard a story that that was a total setup by a former employee of hers or employee that was leaving and no way. had an axe to grind and wanted to set her up. So gave her this like, this is the Kwanzaa cake special. Like, I don't know if that's true, <laughs> but oh it's amazing. Well, that everybody needs to listen regardless. to this podcast. I, we're not going to talk more about it because you guys need to listen to it. It uncovers a That's lot right. of interesting things. <laughs> Vanessa, we're, I'm going to do a make out Mary uh, mute, but without you. So you're going to have to fill in another time. We're going to do another interview <laughs> okay, with you. But thank you. I know you're so busy. This so was amazing. We'll have, it was so fun. So fun. I hope to see you soon. And we'll have all of the links in our show notes, guys. So Vanessa, awesome. you're amazing. Thank Legend. you. You're amazing. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, guys. Well, the... 
normally I would do a merry makeout mute with our guests, but we ended up talking for so long and we used so much of Vanessa's time that she, as an incredible podcaster herself, had to go and interview somebody really big. So I can't believe we talked for almost an hour. I could sit and talk to Vanessa. I mean, her stories are incredible. I really urge you go and look at all of the podcasts from Campside, but Infamous, there are so many, like you guys won't even know what to do. And they're, they're quick. You get like a few episodes and it is, you're addicted. It's the perfect thing to listen to in the car or on your rich mom walk or making coffee. It's amazing. I mean, there's ones on like Kylie Jenner being a billionaire and there and whether or not she is and what does that look like? Like we talked about in terms of the um, Nexium and there's the Girls Gone Wild guy. I mean, there's so many. You will be so excited. You're like, oh my God, this is endless fun around pop culture. Vanessa is one of the greatest reporters, journalists of our time. And it's been fun to see her evolution and, you know, being around the same age. She also wrote this amazing article on a, um, a guest that we've had here on the podcast, Sahara Lati and her company Lashify. There's this whole story around lash wars and the, the conglomerates that are trying to take down the female business founders around lash companies. And eyelashes are a big thing. Eyelashes make our face, guys. They're great. Um, so there was a lot of other pop culture stuff that went on. I mean, oh God, I'm so annoyed that this freaking tech thing is breaking me. So not all of you got the the newsletter in your inbox and it's really messing with my numbers too, which pisses me off. I like numbers, but we have so many fun things. We'll put the link in our podcast so you guys can definitely see it if you haven't seen it already. Also, I highly recommend following me on Twitter. Ugh. X, I'm at Brooke, or Instagram, I'm at Brooke, or Threads, I'm at Brooke, or LinkedIn. I always post the newsletter and then the podcast too. So you can always get it that way. And I will keep you guys posted on all of the other things. So I'm just going to, you know, we had the Drew Barrymore stuff that we didn't really get into, but that's old news. I just, I have a very a strong affinity to, to Drew because I happened to look like her when we were kids, not so much in the ET time, but that sort of was when, and then it just got, as she got older, um, unfortunately it was mainly during bad Drew days to bad Drew years. So when Drew the partier, like we had the same long wavy hair, we had the same sort of like hooded eyes. We have this similar voice at the time. Like, so when Drew became this bad girl, like always out partying and drunk and, you know, she was in Poison Ivy and was like, you know, sleeping with Tom Skerritt, her friend's dad in this movie. I mean, I was viewed as that girl. My friend's parents just immediately, I like, made me the bad girl because I looked like Drew. And so it's sort of like, I don't think I was a bad girl, but when I was deemed a bad girl, I sort of became a bad girl. It was like, how does that make sense? Like then we both, and I'm telling you, I had the short hair with the barrettes before blonde, bleach blonde, short hair with barrettes before Drew. And it became like my nightmare because after I did that and I would wear barrettes and I had glitter, Drew did her hair like that. And it was just inescapable, inescapable. So when she danced on, on the desk of, uh, David Letterman during for the, for Letterman show, and she then flashed him, I got so many people, like I would walk down New York city and they would be like, flash me. It was just, ugh. so I have this connection with her. We have differed 
as we've gotten older. Um, and I was just so disappointed to see her like really missing the boat on the writer's strike, per- saying she was going to do her show, then pushing out an apology video yet again, guys, not an apology video. She was sobbing and being like, this is from the heart. This is from me. But she was like not apologizing for what she did. She was apologizing for how she communicated it or whatnot. But she was still going ahead with the show, which she claimed was going to be within the restrictions of what the guidelines are, which there just was wrong. She was wrong. So after then a second wave of backlash to do with this apology video, she then has thoughts and prayers about it and has decided to, uh, to postpone putting the show out until after the strike. And then as a result, Bill Maher, who seemingly followed suit with her doing her show, then said he wasn't going to do the show, not crediting Drew, but crediting the fact that it looked like the strike was moving. There was progress. So whatever. I posted this on Instagram last week and I got a lot of feedback, like celebrities. If you're thinking of doing an apology video or a notes apology that you then screenshot into Instagram, please just take a minute and maybe listen to counsel, maybe have good counsel, PR, advisors that aren't just telling you you're amazing. Have like reach out. There's so many, whether it's me, whether there's so many amazing PR people. There's Melissa Zuckerman, there's Kelly Novak, there's Ina Tricakios. I can't, I'm sorry, Ina, you're another name I'm terrible at pronouncing. There's so many incredible communication specialists that can help you. There's Risa Haller we talked about. Like think just take a minute. Don't freaking publish this shit. Okay. So that's it. I'm going to do my Mary makeout mute. Just me. And we can imagine Vanessa's would all be people like, I think she would just be like, let's mute Keith Raniere and go on from there. My makeout 100% would be doorman mullet babe. Marcus Kellis, I think his name is. And I really did. I loved how the main theme of the newsletter this week was the Roman Empire. And then we have a strong sort of follow up with this guy named Marcus with a K. Like he's so Roman and fabulous. And he, to me, just brought New York back to 1990s, my favorite time in New York, just like, yes. And the fact that that girl didn't walk away when he was like, no, and turned it into a whole thing. I mean, he's going to sell merch. It's like, you know, I'm matching your volume, safe flight. The last time you were fucked was by genetics. <laughs> like, it's so good. There's just too many zingers in there. I would make out. I don't think I'm his type, but I would make out with him all day long. I would marry, okay, this is a funny one, nothing to do with Kevin Costner, but my Lord Elk Talk didn't know there was such a thing. I have a whole section on Elk Talk and it is exactly what it sounds like. Apparently it's elk season when they come out, the men get real horny and they're looking for their girls. They're looking to mate with someone and elk make some crazy sounds, scary, like sounds like aliens. And they take over the towns like Yellowstone, all of those mountainside places where elk roam. Um, and you have to like, it's, Little House on the Prairie time in 2023, you see people running for their lives, getting into a closed environment. Like a car isn't even safe, but better a car than being outside. If you're in the town there, everybody's running into the local stores to close the door as the big elk, giant elk is roaming, looking for his lady. I think it's called rutting season or something. 
So I would marry anybody who lives in one of those mountain towns because I want to see that. I want to experience it. I feel like mountain girl. I want to churn butter. Like I want to do all of that. So if you're single and you're age appropriate and you're not a narcissist and you want to date me, DM me because I'm ready. I'm ready to be Yellowstone girl. I want to be there for elk rutting. I want that whole, like, I'm ready to leave LA and New York, or at least for a few months a year, we can talk about the living situation and how that works. But I am ready. And then mute. I mean this. I want to mute Anna Delvey and Kelly Coutrone. Like, uh, they're very triggering to me. Kelly Coutrone on popping up on my TikTok. I'm sorry. I don't want to wage a war, but you were somebody I looked up to, I thought was really, you know, you maybe not the best boss. You seem scary, but this really was a bridge too far for me. And from a PR perspective and from an opportunist perspective, mute, 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 Anna Delvey, though your doctor, amazing, whoever that is. And mute Kelly Catrone. So that's it. Thank you guys. I can't wait to see you next week and have a beautiful Thursday or whenever it is you're listening to it. And David, as always, thanks for being a great producer and keeping me sane. Pop culture. Murder.